Well, our text for today is from our first reading that was from Ephesians chapter 1. It's the first prayer that Paul prays and writes in this letter to the church in Ephesus all those years ago. It's a prayer for us today. As always, I encourage you, if you have a Bible, open one up. If you want to use one of our church Bibles, Ephesians chapter 1 is found on page 976, page 976. And as we turn our attention to the study of God's Word this morning, let me begin with a question. What do you think is the greatest threat facing the church today? What do you think is the most fundamental problem the church faces today? Now look, some of you might be brand new to Christianity or you might not be a Christian here and you're seeking some of you watching at home. That question in this message today is more of an inside kind of church conversation. But if you are newer to Christianity, I think it's a great conversation for you to be a part of today. I'm glad you're here. But what do you think is the greatest, biggest, most fundamental threat problem facing Christianity, the church. Well, for us in America of the 21st century, maybe it's just how radically different and how quickly the culture and society is changing around us from what used to be, we would say, kind of a, a Christian culture, at least had our heritage in a Christian worldview, but is now a post-post-Christian culture. Or maybe it's this thing called pluralism or a relativistic view of truth. You have your truth and I have my truth. Maybe it's some of the moral chaos that we see around us in the world and in our country. Or maybe it's the various threats that we seem to see happening against religious liberty and religious freedom, uh, our ability to practice our faith openly in the way that we believe God calls us to do in the public square. Those are all real problems, and they are threats to the church. But I would propose to you today that the most fundamental problem that we face as Christians and as a church isn't simply the external pressures that we are experiencing, but rather it's a more internal problem, an internal problem within the church, and dare I say, even within ourselves and our own individual lives. And I put myself in this category and confess this to you this morning that what I think is perhaps the most fundamental problem is that far, far too often we have a weak, anemic, insufficient knowledge of God 
that comes from His holy and inspired Word. That we have a weak and insufficient knowledge of God from the Scriptures, the God of all glory, the God who is holy, 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 the God who is more powerful, His sovereignty and might, and the God of His grace and love and tenderness and closeness, His presence within us and with us every moment of our lives. And because of this, I think that we find ourselves far too easily pleased and focused upon the things of this life and this world so easily distracted. I can't tell you how many times even in the preparation of this very sermon, I'm on my phone watching some YouTube video, a reaction video of something. How lame is that? Mr. Beast, anyone? Okay, don't. And I think that we have, I confess this, very low expectations of what God can actually do in our lives. I don't mean materialistically, some sort of, you know, prosperity gospel. I mean what God can do spiritually within us, the deeper joy and the peace. We have such low expectations of what he can actually do. Paul, we'll see this next week in one of the prayers, the second prayer, says that God can do immeasurably more than all we ask of him or can even imagine. He can do so much more. Do we really believe that? I think that's the problem. We're like a person climbing Mount Everest. We've got all of our supplies and we've got all of the gear, we've got all the right ropes and the harnesses and we have been training for years and years and years and we're climbing to the top of Mount Everest but we forgot to bring oxygen. We can have the most wonderful programs and the most wonderful ministries and the most wonderful website and the most wonderful this and the most wonderful that, but if we forget about the basics, the very essence, you know, how often do we actually think consciously about breathing? We need to breathe in the very Spirit of God that flows from His Word. So how do we do this? What's the solution to this? Well, again, may I suggest that it really is what the whole mission of our Father, Lutheran Church, is all about. What we just heard in the kids' message of helping ordinary people to know and to share, I love this, extraordinary life in Christ. That is brilliant. Knowing and sharing extraordinary life. And when I talk about our lack of knowing God, I don't just mean intellectually, I don't just mean head knowledge, I mean knowing Him deeply, personally. To know and share extraordinary life. But what is extraordinary life in Christ? If you've been at Our Father for a while, you've heard that, right? Ordinary people, extraordinary life. Ordinary people, extraordinary life. What does that even mean, Pastor? Great question. 
extraordinary life is what you were made for. It's what you were designed by God for. It's what we were created for. It's what we're looking for. That emptiness that's within us, we're looking for this extraordinary life. It's what we actually had long ago in the very beginning in the garden, a perfect relationship with God, perfect relationships with one another. The whole world outside of us was perfect in every way. That's what we lost. Deep inside, we all know we've lost something. And it's that extraordinary life that we will have again one day when God returns, when Christ returns to this world. This is what Paul is speaking about here in verses 7 to 10. It's his one long sentence where Paul says, in him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood. That's the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he, I love this word, lavished upon us in all of his wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. Something's been shown to us according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Now that's a mouthful. What's Paul saying? He is saying that there is a plan that Christ has ushered into existence for the fullness of time, at just the right time that God himself has appointed at the right time. And he says that plan is to unite to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. To unite all things. What does that mean? to unite all the things in heaven and to unite that with all the things on the earth. That means that there is a day coming ordained by God where heaven, the dwelling place of God, and earth, the dwelling place of humanity, will finally be one and the same place. This is what the Apostle John sees in the book of Revelation when he says, Behold, I saw, looked and I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and there was no longer any sea, no longer any division between heaven and earth. Can you imagine all of a sudden heaven surrounding this entire earth with the glory of God and the love of Christ transforming all things? And he says, John, in Revelation 21, that God will be there with us and be our God, and he will wipe away every tear from our eyes and there will be no more crying, no more mourning, no more pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Perfect communion with God, his omnipotent, almighty hand and finger 
tenderly wiping away all of your tears of your entire life and transforming it into everlasting joy. And Revelation 7, John looks and he sees a great multitude of people from all nations, of all tribes, of all languages, all races, all people, all of God's people, and all of the division, and all of the conflict, and all of the racism, and all of the warfare. Finally, it is over and we are perfectly one, a family forever. And all of this world renewed and made right. That's the extraordinary life that Paul's talking about. It's what we lost long ago. It's what we're longing for. It's what one day we will finally have in its fullness. But what about right now? What about your life today? to know and to share it. Well, Paul goes on. Look at what he says in verses 13 and 14. Bruce, could you advance the slide? Thank you. Paul says, in him, in Christ, in Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of truth, that's key, remember that, the word of truth. That's the gospel of your salvation. And believed in him, in Christ, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. That means no one can take your faith away from you. You are locked in. You are in the club. You are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Who is the, and here's the key word, guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Paul can't help himself. He just has to praise God in that moment. Again, what is Paul saying here? He says it's through the word of truth and the gospel, the good news, the, the story of the death and the resurrection of Christ and all of the scriptures that you were sealed by the promise Holy Spirit. And again, I said the key word is the guarantee of our inheritance. That is the life that is to come that I just described to you. Now this word guarantee is a very significant and it's just heavy with meaning, pregnant with meaning in the Greek. It's the word arabone. Arabone, guarantee. Arabone in the Greek literally means the money that someone gives to you as a down payment to say to you, this is the first installment, but there's a lot more to come. That's literally, it's, it's earnest money. It's a down payment. It's a first installment of the larger thing that is to come. Do you see what Paul is saying? He is saying the life that we lost long ago that we're longing for and searching for, you're searching for it in every career advancement and every pair of arms or hugs and all of your relationships, all of life, you're trying to fill up that thing that we lost, that extraordinary life. It's that extraordinary life that is going to come. It's guaranteed because of the death and the resurrection of Christ. And he is saying that the first installment of your future life you can have even now. There is already the down payment, the first installment in your life to now, right now. 
And quite frankly, you all look rather underwhelmed. <laughs> Let me do, okay, this is how Lutherans show excitement. Your future life secured through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Everlasting joy, everlasting peace, perfect relationship and communion with God and the blessings of being family together. The first installment, that future life in part is already available to you. That's extraordinary life in Christ. Thank you, Pete, out of the corner of my eye. I see a Lutheran actually moving. Now follow Paul's logic on this. Listen to what he says next in, in 15 through 18. He says, for this reason, because of the life you're going to have one day through the death and resurrection of Christ and because you can already begin to have that even now, for that reason, he's going to be praying. He says, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And then this is his prayer. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, not just head knowledge, but heart knowledge, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. You remember that? Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Right? Pete, was, that was going on in his brain when I said that. The eyes of your hearts enlightened. The eyes of your hearts. That's a strange metaphor. The eyes of your hearts. What do you know about Paul's life? The one he was writing, the eyes of your hearts. Remember how Paul, when he became a Christian, he was on the road to Damascus. He was on his way to persecute Christians. All of a sudden, there is the living, resurrected Christ in all of his glory who appears to him. He hears the sound of his voice, and there is a bright, blinding light, literally a blinding light, because Paul, in that moment, becomes blind. He cannot see with his eyes. And this is the great irony in the conversion of St. Paul is that it's in that process when he cannot see with his eyes that he begins to see with his heart who Jesus really is. The eyes of his heart. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Now, what's Paul actually praying for here? Is he praying for these Christians, for these people in Ephesus to become Christians, to have faith? No, because he says, I've already heard of your faith. They are already in, they're already Christians, they already have faith. So then why is he praying for the eyes of their hearts to be enlightened? The word enlightened, this stuff matters, I don't want to lose you. The word enlightened in the Greek is in what's called the perfect tense. 
And you get the future tense and the present tense. This is the perfect tense. And in the Greek, the perfect tense is something that has happened in the past that has an ongoing effect and oftentimes an increasing effect. Something that already happened, but its effect keeps on going. So what he's saying here, he's praying for their hearts, of their eyes to be opened, to be enlightened, which took place but he's praying that that enlightenment may grow more and more and greater and greater. Do you believe, Christians here and at home, that that can actually happen for you in your life? You're in, look, you're in the club, right? Saved by grace through faith. You are in by God's grace. Do you believe, do you pray for, do you want that extraordinary life that is to come to become more real and greater in your life? It can happen. Now look, as we wrap up here, Paul then goes on to say, okay, well then, if it's growing and this enlightenment in the eyes of our hearts becomes more and more, then what's the benefit? I mean, what are the things that we might know or learn or show or even experience? And he goes on in verse 18 and following to say this. He says, I want to have the eyes of your hearts enlightened more and more that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, hope can transform your life. It's certainty about the future that travels back in time and changes your life today. And two things, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And then secondly, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? That's speaking about our identity and it's speaking about our security. First of all, identity. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? I've always read that to be uh, talking about my or our future inheritance, you know, the kingdom of God and this extraordinary life that will come in the new heavens and the new earth. That's what it was talking about, my or our inheritance. Look closer. Paul's already spoken about our inheritance in this chapter. But here he says, I want you to know deeper, more richly, more impactfully upon your life what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. This isn't speaking here in this instance of our inheritance. It's speaking of whose inheritance? His inheritance. It's God's inheritance. And what does God inherit? He inherits the saints. What does God inherit? What is God's great reward? What is God longing for with all of his heart what does God delight in his reward his inheritance is you you for all of your sin and all of your darkness and all the times you've ignored him what Paul is saying is that the inheritance of God look mom if you're watching dad I don't, I don't want you to pass away anytime soon. If I knew that my inheritance was like $50 million, I don't want you to pass away, okay? $50 million, though? <laughs> I'm sorry, that's life-changing, right? 
I'm making a point here, okay? A man, wow. God's longing of his sovereign, all-powerful heart, what, his, what he can't wait to have is you. That's who you are. That's who you are. That's your identity, right? That's who you are. Do you see how valuable your life is to him? How much your life matters? The worth that you have is infinite on our daughter's wall in our bathroom. Maybe I've shared this with you before. I don't know. On the, Leah made this uh, uh, thing that hangs on her wall. And the first sentence, three sentences, the first sentence says, I am who they say I am. And it's crossed out. And the second sentence underneath that says, I am who I say I am. And that's crossed out. And the third sentence says, I am who Jesus says I am. You are his great reward. The love of his life and his great delight. That's the identity. And secondly, again, the security that we can grow in our knowledge of this. He says, to know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. The power, the greatness of his power that cannot be measured. It's so overwhelming. The power that he has, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, the same power that raised Christ from the dead is working in your life every single moment, every day, every week of all of your life. The power of God is working to keep you as his very own. And it's whether we see it or whether we feel it or not, we can grow in the awareness that that is the reality, that God is always working for you. And it means that everything is going to be okay. Everything is going to be okay. Going to be beyond our imagination. And how does this come into our life as we wrap up? It's back to verse 13. It says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, it's through the word of truth, it's the scriptures. It's God's word. Well, how do I do that, Pastor? How can I? read the Bible or, 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 or have quiet time or prayer time in a way that, that I can grow and, and this first installment of my future life can become even more real and powerful in my life and I can maybe even hear God speaking into my worries and fears. How can that happen in my life? That is a great question that we don't have time to answer today, but On Saturday, September 17th, we're going to have a workshop, a learning community. I'm going to be teaching for about 40 minutes some of the practical wisdom of Martin Luther himself and things that I've experienced in my own life over the last 15 or so years of reading the Word of God in such a way that God can actually speak right into your worries, your fears, whatever's going on, and really have him communicate to your heart 
life-changing. I really believe it's certainly transformed my entire life. I'm going to be teaching that to high schoolers through adults. We're also going to have Miss Courtney, who's going to be teaching a similar thing, age-appropriate for our middle schoolers. And then we're going to have Miss Karen do the same type of thing, age-appropriate for kindergarten through fifth grade. So it's something the whole family can experience together. We're going to have a yummy catered lunch after that. It's from 9 to 12.30. It's not going to take up your whole Saturday. And I'm asking you, unless you just can't get out of work or you're traveling out of town, I want you to be there because I believe that this has the ability to transform and really be revival and renewal for us and for you.